Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Bonus time of the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, February 11th, 2022. Good God almighty. I'm just going to read a random headline from the New York Times to give you a sense of what's in the world. And I haven't told my guests I'm reading this headline, but I just... While we, we had a few delays getting started with the show, I got a, took an opportunity to read this uh, very interesting uh, story in today's New York Times, or an essay, I should say, by a woman named uh, Jessica Gross. And the headline is, Book Bans Are About the Illusion of Parental Control. And I'm like, whoa, I'd love to hear my guest, my distinguished guest, talk about that today, uh, even though we didn't even talk about talking about that. So let's talk about throwing a curveball at a distinguished guest. She's about to say, man, I didn't sign up for that curveball. Anyway, without further ado, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an editorial board member of the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, she is. She's also a, a columnist, and when she's a columnist, her name and photo go on the column she wrote. As an editorial writer, uh, her name does not go on uh, the editorial she writes. She's one of, I want to say, five editorial writers at the Bright One. Am I correct in that, Ramona? Are there five of you? Uh, yes. Wow. It's a miracle. Yeah, there's five of us. On a good day, yeah. On a good day. Uh, and so there's a new uh, drinking game in the city of Chicago. It's called Guess who wrote the Sun-Times editorial? Because they're unsigned. So you have to guess who wrote the editorial. And if you get it wrong, you have to take a shot. Uh, I always get them right when it comes to Romano. You have a very distinctive style uh, that uh, comes through. So I'm pretty sure every time. Oh, Romano wrote that one. Uh, Romano wrote that one. That's what, that's what the guys on the copy desk do. They told me that they have a game where as soon as somebody writes an editorial, they, they guess that day who wrote it based and they can, they, they've been pretty good on one or two of the ones that I've done. They're like, we knew it was you because like I did write the one I can say, I can write the one about Sammy Sosa. They're like, we were like, who's the Cubs fan on the editorial board and they figured it out. So they told me they have a game that they play every day and guessing who wrote the editorial sometimes. So 
Well, I, I know your voice. I mean, we've we've had so many conversations uh, uh, over the last uh, couple of years that I'm pretty good at your voice. Uh, and all right, so we'll we'll hold off. The book banning thing will come up uh, as a segue from the first uh, item that I want to talk to you about. And you wrote this editorial. I'm pretty sure. Oh, wait, we're not allowed to say if she wrote them. Uh, but there was an editorial in the Sun Times uh, to this uh, issue, which we have talked about on this show all week. So might as well uh, get you to join the conversation. And it has to do with Joe Rogan, the world's most popular uh, podcaster. I believe he's number one. I have a long way to go to catch him. And uh, he got in trouble uh, when uh, it was revealed that he'd been saying uh, the N-word. He's a white man, uh, frequently down through the years. So uh, I urge everybody uh, to check out the conversation I had with Monroe Anderson on Wednesday. We took the deep dive on this and we addressed the issue. Why is it that so many white people want to be able to say the N-word. Why do they want that right so much to say it? Why are they so hurt and upset that they can't say it? It's like a private club they want to get into, but they're not allowed access. They want to be in the club. So, Romana, uh, you know a thing or two about this issue, having, uh, if not written that editorial, at least having read it. Um, so your general thoughts on this subject. Um, I, I mean... I think it's crazy. I mean, Rogan, Rogan's already been in the news for his views on the COVID vaccine. Um, we've heard that Neil Young, uh, Joni Mitchell, among other artists, um, have pulled their music um, or asked their music to be taken off Spotify because of his views on the vaccine. He's basically said that I don't think he's gotten the vaccine. He's vaccine hesitant, as some people would say, and he's had a lot of people on there who are vaccine skeptics come on. And so Neil Young and Joni Mitchell have said that they don't want their music on a platform that has, you know, espouses these, you know, has a podcast that espouses these sort of views. And so um, I think it was last weekend, India Ari, the, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, the musician um, who happens to be black, had posted something on Instagram where she compiled at least um, 20 times Rogan used the N-word in his podcast during a 12-year span. The fact that he's been able to do this without anybody raising eyebrows is kind of crazy. So she basically said that, you know, she she said she wanted her music off, you know, Spotify as well for this specific reason. And then Joe Rogan ended up um, issuing an apology on Instagram. It was a six minute apology. And he was basically saying, um, you know, it's not my word to use. I shouldn't have used it. And um, I, I was looking at a Newsweek article where it pointed out in that one of the episodes he and a white, another white comedian were arguing, or at least they were, they brought up the subject of being able to use the N word and why it's okay to use the N word. And he kind of makes fun of people who actually say the N word instead of the full word. And the reason why um, we decided to take on um, this matter is because this also, there's a situation locally that happened about a week ago where this, teacher um, at a Southwest side uh, Catholic school, Mother Macaulay, had used the N-word and ended up getting fired. And so, you know, both both this teacher and Joe Rogan, as you mentioned, are white. And our question was, why do non-Black people feel the need to use the word? And in the case of the teacher, if you look at the story, um, you know, the story like really quickly and don't read the full story. Um, you know, you're kind of like the teacher was trying to, you know, she did have good intentions when she initially used the word in her classroom. It was wrong to use, but
but she was trying to explain to her students why uh, Native American mascots and Native American names, like the football team, the you know the Washington, I think they're the Washington Commanders now, but they were the Washington Redskins before that. And she was trying to explain to the students saying that this is offensive to Native Americans as just as, as offensive as the N-word is to African-Americans and others, to, to be fair. But instead of just saying the N-word, she actually said the word. And um, one student was recording the class, like, you know, as, so she could take notes on that later. And it ends up in the administrator's hands. And the reason the administrator said that they fired this woman is because she kept saying the word in explaining why she used the word. And they said that they kept telling, according to the administration, they said that her bosses kept telling her to stop using the word, but she kept going. And that is what, you know, I think a lot of people would let it slide that she used the word. Um, they, I think a lot of people disagree for her to actually use the full word while she was in class, but people can let that slide because she sounded like she had good intentions. But afterwards that's what the administration said is that she just kept saying it throwing it around like while explaining her situation and she this is a teacher who's been there for like four four decades so i don't know i think i think if she kept bringing it up it's like you know you're not supposed to say the word why you keep saying it and i think that's what i think made everybody like wow why are you saying this word and i i just don't understand like and you know in the editorial, it just kind of touches upon this, which I kind of brought up. I mean, we know that black people, a lot, you know, a lot of black people don't like the word at all. They would never use it. But there are a lot of other black people who you say that they're reclaiming the word and they use it as a term of affection. And sometimes it's used negatively. But I feel like I don't think anybody who isn't black should use it. A lot of other people, non-black people of color also use it. I mean, there's Indian kids, Asian kids who use it amongst their friends. They don't use it with the R, but they use it like NWA. And, you know, they're like, and, you know, I, I, I've, I've talked to some, um, you know, uh, some black people who said that, you know, they find it more offensive when white people say it. But I personally don't think anybody who's not black should be seeing it. I don't think it's our debate to have whether or not we can use the red word. We just can't use it. It's not, it's not a good word. It's offensive. and and we know why, because it was used to subjugate and it still is used to subjugate. And it it's just interesting how Joe Rogan could go be on air for that long. And I guess I guess a lot of black people probably don't listen to Joe Rogan. That's my guess. Maybe that's why it never came up before. But this guy has had it for the last 12 years, at least 20 times. Um, I think I've read 22 to 24 times that India Re had um, on her uh, video compilation that she had. And, you know, Joe Rogan's like, oh, even for me, you know, when I saw that, and he, he kind of meant, he mentioned how it was taken out of context. And it's like, well, I don't think you can use it in any context as a white person. Sorry. So, yeah, it's, I, I think that's why we decided to tackle it, because this was something that came up nationally. And it was something that was, that happened locally as well. Uh, I, I, I'm all over the map with uh, the teacher to Mother Macaulay, uh, because she apologized so, you know, I, I do believe that you should give people another chance and just to fire her uh, goes against that. Um, uh, on the other hand, it seems like based on what you said and what, I, uh, what I've read in the newspapers, like almost like she was taunting the administrators with the word. So but, uh, 
uh, you know, and she's not union. She's just, I'm just going to throw this out the, the union side of me. Uh, I don't, I'm pretty sure there's no union uh, that protects her. So she's an at will employee. Boom. There's no hearing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's, there's no opportunity to present her side of defense. Just saying that, uh, Catholic school teachers, you might think about go- or forming a union. Uh, I, um, I, I, that was a great riff, uh, Ramana. I, my attitude about it, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just good. Like there's some things you can't do. Just think about it this way. And it's just, you can't do it. It's not the end of the world. There's just some things you can't do. And I, I see the, the thing is, is, uh, I've watched Joe Ro- Ro- uh, Rogan on and off, uh, for a while. And I, I saw in real time, the episode, this is back in his YouTube days before he was on uh, Spotify. And it was a different world on YouTube. It was like, it's, it's out there. And they, and they were like, they were like white guys giggling, doing something they're not supposed to do. You get what I'm saying? And that's how they treated it. And it's just this bizarre universe of its own, the Joe Rogan show. Like, those were, that was acceptable behavior because there were no rules. And just so you know, this is, makes it really weird. Uh, Joe Rogan's friends, or was, I don't know what the situation is now, with Dave Chappelle. Uh, he toured with Dave Chappelle. He was the opening act for Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle's been on the day, uh, Joe Rogan show. Those, 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 uh, Romano, you and I get some good numbers, I'd like to think, but you should take a look at the numbers and hits <laughs> that Joe Rogan gets when Dave Chappelle comes in. Kevin Hart was on his show. And it's just a really, really bizarre world with its own rules. And, and then he went over to Spotify. You know what I'm saying? It's, and they had it like, now they have to kind of like change, play by a new rule book. I, I don't know. It's um, it's really weird watching Joe Rogan uh, apologize and say he he really feels bad about this when this is something he openly did and laughed about doing. And it just doesn't ring sincere in any way that he feels so bad about it. You know what I'm saying? It was like he was proud of it. It's like, I don't know, me apologizing for wearing blue jeans all the time or something. Um, I'm just trying to think of something I do all the time and then I would have to apologize. Uh in the RE, by the way, I just want to point out the when she released, uh, Neil Young said, "Take me off because I, I don't want to be uh, on a platform that um, has such misinformation." In the RE, made a different point, which I found very compelling as well. She said that uh, she pointed out how Spotify exploits the musicians. You have to listen to a song, I forget how many times before a musician gets any royalties. And she goes, I'll be damned if I'm going to bring uh, listeners to this platform that's exploiting me and giving this old boy here a hundred million dollars, you know, which I thought was a very valid point, a different oh, point, but exceedingly sure. valid for about sure. artist rights. So my rule with Spotify, I'll share this with you, uh, Ramana, and feel free uh, to criticize it if you want. My rule on Spotify is to get around this, I only listen to music of performers who are dead. So I feel like I'm not exploiting them. Now you're going to go, Ben, what about their children? Oh, my God, you're grueling me on the cross-examination, Ramana. Uh, I just say, you know, the kids are on their own. Uh, <laughs> I listen to a lot of jazz from the 60s and 70s, and pretty much everybody. So is what if you them. don't know someone's dead? Do you Google it? Yes. <laughs> I've been known to violate this rule, for instance. Um, uh, like, I'll listen to the Beatles. Well, you know, the, three of two them Beatles. Are dead. I mean, oh, yes. Two of them are dead, yeah. Yes. 
So I don't know, but I figured like, Paul McCartney's got a lot of money. You know, he, I'm not worried about him. Uh, yeah. I mean like people like Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan and now Sting, they've all sold their rights to their music. So in those cases, cause everybody was like waiting for Springsteen to pull his music out. But then everybody's like, Oh no, he already sold his rights to like some big music company. So I guess you could listen to those artists. Yeah. Sold their music. That's true. But I, uh, if I, uh, if I want to indulge my need to listen to Bob Dylan for the 20 billionth time in my life, I have CDs. I'll probably just play the CD and call it a day. All right. But let me, so while we're talking, so what do you have a general position on uh, censorship that you sort of subscribe to? Do you feel that uh, Joe Rogan should be uh, re- kicked off of Spotify or punished for, uh, by Spotify, penalized somehow or other? I think um, this whole thing about censorship kind of ties in with cancel culture. It's like nobody's being censored, but you do have a responsibility. I mean, it's a business. It's a private business. They can, you know, it's, you know, people talk about, you know, freedom of speech, but it's a private company. And so they could take you off the air if you say something. If I was at work and I started using, like, you know, we're talking about the N-word or I started saying it in work and just calling all my colleagues that, I'm sure I'd be fired, right? So I, I can say it. Nobody's saying I can't. But within, I guess, the construct of a company, I don't think you, you know, it's a private business. So they do have a right to get rid of you if they don't agree with what you're saying. Um, if I went on Spotify and I had a podcast and I started defending people, um, you know, certain individuals, I'm sure I would get kicked off of Spotify right away. You know, Joe Rogan, it's a money thing. I think censorship, when we talk about censorship in terms of at least this situation, it all comes down to a money thing. I'm sure if other, um, like, you know, we can talk about it if it was a black artist. You know, we talked about Whoopi Goldberg off the air, and I know you've talked about her on the show. She was suspended. But why wasn't Joe Rogan suspended? I, I'm just saying that, you know, it all kind of, I think each case is different. And I think in this case, it has to do with money. Am I, am I, you know, I don't support censorship. I do think that, you know, people should be, you know, have a right to say stuff. But then, you know, there are consequences to your actions. And that's what I think people forget when, you know, when people who support Joe Rogan, they're saying that you're against free speech. It's not that you're against free speech. You have you just object to what they're saying. And it's similar to what's happening at the Chicago Reader from what I've been, you know, reading about. Um, And, you know, we know one of the owners had written um, an article that, you know, was talking about how a lot of um, parents are skeptical and don't want to get their kids children vaccinated and he kind of seemed to be defending that position if I'm remembering my reading correctly and so you know that caused I I didn't realize this until this week but apparently that caused a lot of tension between the owners and uh Tracy Bain who's the she's is she the um editor CEO she's the co-publisher she's the co-publisher yeah because the editor's Karen Hawkins and other person actually they're co-publishers yeah co-publish so um you know that, you know, and, and, you know, I know that the owner who wrote the editorial is, is citing censorship when there was objections raised to it. So my question is, when is it 
censorship. Like I, I'm sure there's certain columns people can write and, and editors would be like, no, we're not printing that. You know, there's there's been columns, there's been there has been circumstances at the Sun Times where somebody suggested writing something and you know the bosses are like, no, we're not gonna have that in the paper. So um, you know, you can't, you know, at, at the end of the day, a corporation or a business has a right not to print certain things. I mean, if you if you as a reporter or you know an individual want to go tweet something, you're allowed to go tweet it. So if you're not allowed to put it in the paper, go tweet it. You might get in trouble. But I'm just saying that there is responsibility and there are consequences to your actions when you put something out there. Uh, I um, I'm really going to have to resist the urge to uh, go on a, a tangent about um, the reader. Uh, as everybody knows, I uh, work for The Reader. The show is sponsored by The Reader. I've been sworn to secrecy and keep my big mouth shut. Oh, sorry. Uh, from various people. That's okay. Yeah. You you weren't. And you free, right? You have a free expression. Uh, I'm not being because, censored. Uh, you're not being censored in any way. I'm censoring myself, which is really difficult for me to do because <laughs> everybody knows I love to talk. And uh, there's just some really delicate negotiations going on behind the scenes at the reader uh, to uh, turn the reader over from the uh, for-profit entity that owns it to a not-for-profit en- entity. And people said, Ben, please just just don't talk about this. So I'm just going to be quiet and just show some discipline. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's just think of it this way, ladies and gentlemen. It's mid-February. I've put on about five, ten pounds of hibernation uh, weight, and uh, there's a delicious piece of chocolate cake sitting in front of me, and I really want to eat that cake, but I'm going to walk away because sometimes you got to just walk away from it. So uh, I have a lot to say on that subject maybe a little later. Um, I... Uh, I, I think that uh, the notion of uh, cancel culture and censorship uh, is a political tactic and tool that the right have uh, totally manipulated. Uh, and you and I have talked about this. I will endlessly talk about this. Uh, they are the biggest hypocrites in the world. They are constantly censoring other people. They are passing laws, outlawing, preventing, banning, by law, teachers from teaching critical race theory or teachers from teaching issues like the Civil War that might hurt the feelings of white kids. They are, it's, it's MAGA that's passing this laws. And yet, when people are outraged by what Joe Rogan does, MAGA starts sobbing about cancel culture. They're the biggest phonies and hypocrites in the world. And what really irritates me, I mean, I know the game they're playing, Romana, but what really irritates me is when liberals take it up. And I don't know if we've ever addressed this, but like white liberals in particular, and no, but black people too, will be go, Ben, that's cancel culture. That's canceled. Man, you guys are just, why don't you just take the MAGA script and read it, guys? Why don't you just, just, you've been brainwashed. They always talk about like Joe Rogan as uh, cancel culture, but do you follow what I'm saying? They don't talk about. He's not, he hasn't been canceled. And like, honestly, like even if he does get taken off Spotify, I mean, the guy has like a, made multi-millions of dollars. He's not going to be canceled. Some other platform is going to get him. And this whole thing of people being canceled. Yeah. You know, People are being held responsible. That's why. And and people are, a lot of these people who are, you know, being canceled, some of them are big celebrities who've made tons and millions of dollars. I mean, they still are okay, even after, like, you know, people accuse other people of canceling them. They still have some sort of platform. I mean, God, what, what was that comedian? Why am I forgetting his name? 
the one Louis C.K. Yeah, Louis C.K. I mean, people say that he was canceled, but he still has a platform out there. It's he's still out there. You know, people were talking about Dave Chappelle. You know, he's he Dave Chappelle actually made news earlier this week. I don't know if you had heard, but um, there was a, some affordable housing um, a meeting, and he I I have to know the whole thing, but people were tweeting about it, and he was against this uh, affordable housing in his town. And a lot of people are tweeting about it. I don't know the whole story, so I don't know what his reason was. But I saw him testify before the city council meeting, and and because and people are saying because he made those comments, you know, because he threatened to like take you know all his like you know all his investments that he put into the town, his hometown, um, they didn't pass this like you know. So you know, I I mean, Dave Chappelle is still going to have a living. You know, he had that Netflix special. I'm just saying that you know you can say you're canceling someone because you're. I mean. People who are against cancel culture, they just don't want anybody criticizing people, specifically white people. And that's that's what I think it is in a nutshell. And, All right, let's. Yeah, and I, I and I, I'm okay with canceling certain people, but like I said, they're not going to be canceled. Woody Allen is canceled, but you know what? He's like, I don't know how old he is, but I'm assuming he's like in his 80s. He's lived his life. He's gotten to do whatever he wanted to do, and you know, you know. Like, he's still making movies, by it, the way. Exactly. He's, you know, fine. He's not, he doesn't have the adulation that he did, but he had the adulation at the, you know, at the peak of his career. He got everything he wanted. So if he's canceled when he's like almost dying, I mean, or about to die in a few years, that's fine. He's lived his life. Yeah. No, I, uh, <laughs> just, just saying. saying he's been canceled is, is funny. That just, just, just I mean, I got to give the right credit. They put it out there. It's probably some lefty that figured it. They used it, then the right stole it. Uh, all right. So this is essay in the New York Times. I've alluded to a couple times. It's really interesting. I'll, I'll boil it down and get your thoughts. Uh, the uh, the author Jessica Gross uh, is uh, talking about book banning, and book banning by and large, we've had this conversation this show many times, comes from the right. It doesn't come from the left. It's MAGA. It's banning books and libraries. They see some book they find offensive on the shelf of a library, and they demand that the library take it down. Hello, Joe Rogan. When are you going to talk about that? Hello, Bill Maher. When are you going to talk about that? And uh, <laughs> they only talk about cancel culture from the left. Anyway, so this essayist uh, wrote the story. Essentially, uh, it says, if kids want to get their mitts on something, they'll find a way. And I'm, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of wisdom there. And I know this to be fact, uh, that, you know, parents always try to impose their, what they believe their, the correct values are in their kids. And many times they're complete freaking hypocrites about it because they're not living by those values themselves. And the kids go figure it out on their own. Uh, and so the notion that you can um, impose uh, a way of looking at the world uh, on children just by taking a book off the shelf is really twisted a weird one in, in uh, Ramana because first of all already a kid who's in a library just think about this already is probably a minority of kids in a community a teenager who goes to a library on his or her own without being forced to and checks out a book just think about this for a moment I mean you may have gone to the Lincolnwood Library or the Skokie Library one of the greatest libraries in it Chicago library. area unbelievable library. I mean, just shout out to those people in Skokie and Oakton. And you may have gone to one of those libraries, but for, for every Ramana who was a bookish kid, there's 20 kids who wouldn't be caught dead in a library unless they're hanging around in the back just talking to their friends and eating Twinkies. And so just the, 
like a kid who goes to the library is going to be inquisitive ch- generally anyway. It's going to look out, want to know and explore different books. It's just, it's just such an illusion. You know what I mean? That you can impose a worldview. And yet Romana, this is age old. This was going on back when you were a kid. Outraged parents. Take that book off the shelf. I just feel it's um, an exercise of fertility. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, every once in a while, you'll hear about this, a book that parents are all upset about and or a lot of people are upset about. And this latest book, is, is it called, um, how would you pronounce it? M-A-U-S. About the Holocaust. Mouse. 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 I wasn't sure if it was uh, Mouse or Mouse. I don't want to like. Yeah. I don't Spiegelman's wanna... uh, comic uh, novel. Yes. Yeah. And I never, I, I never read the book. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, came out. It, when did it come out? I'm not sure when the publication I think it came out, uh, uh, doing this off the top of my head, when roughly when you were in high school. Oh, okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't on any of our reading lists, but um, I think there was, I think there's like a naked person in there and maybe there's like a square word in there. And that's why people were upset about it. Um, and this is like a book that's teaching you about what happened in history. So there is an educational component to it. This isn't a book that teachers are just giving that has no educational value to it. So I don't understand the um, objection. Um, I could, like, I could see my parents being immigrant parents, like maybe seeing something that I read, but they never, they never did that. They'd be like, Oh, why are you reading that? But I don't think they would go out of their way to be like, you know, I don't think they had the energy or like they had other things better going on to like sit there and protest it. So I'm just thinking that, you know, there's always going to be something that parents object to. And the thing is, this book has educational value. Those are the two things that you're objecting to. I mean, in the past, you know, we've heard about Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn, and we were talking about the N-word. You know, that is that word is thrown around with one of the characters. And, you know, a lot of people are upset about that. And, you know, we've heard debates about, you know, whether that book should be allowed. And, you know, people have said that, you know, it's definitely offensive. But, you know, they talk about the value of the book and that can be argued. But, I'm just in this case, I just I just don't I don't get it. I think there's always that one book. There's probably other books that kids are reading that other parents would find on, on their own, just as objective. It's just this one book. So I feel like it's every once in a while there's a specific book that comes out and then everybody just goes haywire over that specific book. And and it's just like, you know, the same questions get raised up again. I just don't understand the objection to the book because I mean, there's a lot of books that I read in high school and they were very graphic. Like, you know, we read about Pearl Harbor, like Hiroshima was a novel we read that's a very graphic novel. And we read, um, you know, we read about the Holocaust, too. We read about, you know, we read other books, too. We read Malcolm X. So are you not going to read that book because he called white people the white devils? You know, it's it's like all these books had something to say. So I just don't understand. It's not like it's a gratuitous you know, book that has no educational value. There's some books that I can understand, like if, you know, if it was smut or something with pornography, you can understand that. You're like, okay, most people would say they don't want their kids exposed to that at such a young age, but this is something that has educational value. So I, I just think this is some an issue that comes up every couple of years. And I guess this is the book, for 20, the, the pandemic years. 
this is a book that's going to be, you know, and then there'll be another book that comes out. In oh, yeah. Years. And, you know, the books that children read now are completely different than the books that I read as a young adult um, that were assigned to me as a young adult. Because um, for a while, like, you know, I think there's like 20 year in increments where everybody reads the same kind of books. And then 20 years later, because like my nephews and nieces who, you know, went to high, junior high and high school, the books they're reading are completely different. I'm like, wait, don't you read this book? And there's some that are constants, but, you know, their books are, you know, there are actually a lot more, um, I guess, a lot more parents. I could see them objecting to the books that they're reading. Um, they're a lot more graphic and deal with more heavier subjects at a younger age. But none of them were to the point where I looked at them and I'm like, how could you be reading that? You know, they showed me all the books they read and they were they all had educational values. So. I don't know. I just find it interesting. And when you mentioned the library, I hated going to the library. Well, I didn't hate going to the library. I loved reading books, but I wasn't someone that went to the library. And when I was in high school and I wanted to work, this is really funny being a child of immigrants. My mom told me my job was to do good in school and I couldn't hold a job. And I go, well, I want to work at the store or, or like or a pizza hut. And my mom's like, the only place you can work is a library. She said, <laughs> she said, that's the only place I want you to work because there's only old ladies there. I don't want you working with anybody else. And I said, forget it. If that's the only place I'm supposed to work, I'm not working there. I don't want to live in the library. But I, I did go to Skokie Library for school projects. And Lincolnwood Library is really small. And it's gotten a lot better. But it was tiny when I was, when I was, when we first moved to Lincolnwood. It was like basically a hole in the wall. I remember going there for a project. My mom walked me there. But it's gotten a lot bigger. But Skokie Library is great. And that's where I, I spent some time in high school with my other friends who were more studious whenever we had to work on a project. I, I uh, love libraries as a kid. I love them to this day. I go to the library every week. and uh, But that's so funny that uh, it proved my point. Your mother saying, I'll let you work at the library because it's just old people at the library. And it's, yeah, that's my point. <laughs> I'd be like rewarding. A, there's a kid in a library look at, randomly looking at books. You know that's the kind of kid that's going to go far in the world. All right. Uh, we're almost out of time. So uh, we got off to a little late start. Uh, we'll just cut it off by uh, asking you uh, to close, as you always do, with a Romana recommendation. And uh, so what's your burning recommendation of the week? I am going to recommend a Korean horror flick that I might have mentioned to you, either on air or off the air. It's called All of Us Are Dead. And it's basically um, a Korean, as I mentioned, it's a zombie flick based in high school. And they actually, it's very updated because it was just shot probably within the last year, but they mentioned uh, coronavirus. And I think a lot of the, um, I think the, I think this, this um, zombie movie kind of parallels the pandemic to what's happening today, because most people react the same way when they get bitten by these zombies, but some people don't, they react a little differently. So they kind of, there's kind of um, some parallels to the pandemic when you watch, um, this show and it's pretty good. I think it's surpassed Squid Games as the most watched Netflix show. So if you're looking for something that's, uh, you know, it, it actually has some humor in it too. Um, it's, Wait, time out. So is it a movie or a series? It's a series. It's, um, oh, it's a series. It's okay. 12, 12 parts. They're about an hour long, but it's, you get used to the characters. I think they're probably going to, it sounds like the way they ended it seems like there's going to be more coming. And I thought it was pretty cool. And Marvelous Miss Maisel is going to be coming out next week i think next weekend so i think i'm going to be catching that um as you know the oscar um nominees were announced this week and so there's some movies that i gotta catch up on um you know we saw that west side story got some nods and uh power of the dog which i haven't seen i have to still see that so 
I have some catching up to do. We'll, 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 we're trying to get them all in. Uh, I think the Oscars are at the end of March. So I'm going to try to watch as many Oscar nominated movies as I can before, um, before the end of the year. I mean, before the end of uh, March. All right. I wrote down all of us are dead. I'm going to watch it uh, tonight. I'll, I'll start watching it tonight. I've been meaning to do that. I, I recommend everybody uh, Nightmare Alley. Uh, Sergio Mims, who's a regular on the show, Black Harvest Film Festival, says it's, in his opinion, uh, one of the perhaps the best movie of the year. And it's really good. So I urge everybody to check that one out. A little eerie, a little scary, uh, and uh, very compelling uh, story. Story, uh, beautifully shot. It's a sh- I, I watched it on TV uh, on uh, Hulu. Ramana, I wish I'd seen it on the big screen. Um, but, um, you know, it's what could I do? I'm actually, we're out and about. Uh, so I'm with uh, J.B. Pritzker. I mean, I still wear a mask, but I've gone to Bulls games and high school basketball games and college basketball games. My wife and I are going to the movies tomorrow. I don't blame uh, you. We're yeah, going so to a concert out. today, so I I try to go out whenever I can. I mean, I, I kind of face it out. You know, some I went out with um, a young reporter earlier this week. I'm her mentor, and we try to meet up at a restaurant every couple months. And you know, the numbers are down, so we met met up. And then I kind of wait a few days and then go out again and there's some days where I go off a couple of days in a row, but still it's nice. Uh, speaking of young uh, reporters at the Sun-Times, I'm going to close with a shout out to Nader Issa, who was on the show yesterday. Uh, he tag teamed with Sarah Karp. Uh, great uh, story. I'll be talking about it uh, on the, oh, what a week. Uh, so it, it's a great story. Nader, I tip my hat to you on two fronts. One for doing such a great enterprising story about uh, how Mayor Lori Lightfoot's uh, political crony uh, is getting involved in the teachers union election, obviously on the side that's opposite of uh, SDG, Stacey Davis Gates. So just imagine that the boss is working. <laughs> boss, you're not allowed to get in an election of your employees. Okay. Their employees, your employer. Uh, Nader Issa did a great job on the story with Sarah Carp. But the thing I liked about it, I'm going to give you a little piece of advice, Romana. Never, ever, ever play a game of poker with Nader Issa. That guy does not show his hand. I said, so Nader, what you got? You got what you're working on, you know? And he's like, well, Ben, I wrote a story about a two weeks ago. It was an interesting story. And he tells me about some story two weeks ago. Meanwhile, oh boy, is I'm feverishly working. He's got a scoop ready to go. I'm saying, Nader Issa, that's a great scoop. But I'm never playing poker with you, young man. You got a poker face. He's a great reporter. He's doing a great job covering um, education, CPS. He, he's the man. You got. Uh, I'm gonna give a shout out. There's a. There's three or four young reporters at the Sun Times. I love them to death. Tommy Schuba, you know, I'm a big fan of his too. And uh, they're just so enterprising, and uh, it's just great to see them going at it. But Nader is a great job. You and Sarah Carp. All right. Uh, Ramana Hussein, thank you very much. So it's a blast talking to you. We had a few difficulties, stumbles and starts, but we got it off. All is well, right? Yep. All right. Very good. Uh, that's Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care, everybody. Bye.